The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call to those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. One of the podcasts I listened to in the course of my preaching preparation describes the Revised Common Lectionary, the three-year cycle of four readings for each Sunday, as being designed to bring congregations through the great narrative of Scripture without being constrained by the choice of the preacher. This is one week when I would have chosen differently. In the gospel text, we just heard Jesus tells another parable where he compares the kingdom of heaven to a wedding feast given by a king. Maybe, Jesus, maybe Matthew wants us to recall the wedding at Cana the first of the miracles that Jesus performed. But it's a story that we only hear from the evangelist John. Or maybe we are to compare wedding, wearing the wedding garment to being clothed in Christ at baptism. Maybe Matthew is comparing the king to God and the son is Jesus. 
But then what meaning are we supposed to make from the enraged king who sends his troops to destroy murderers and burn down the city? Or from the later actions of that same king who invites everyone to come to the feast only to then cast out one man, condemning him to the outer darkness? It is a difficult text. The epistle we have today is difficult in another way. It is Paul's conclusion to his letter to the church at Philippi. And one of the most well-known lines is verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. The risk is that in the midst of current events, Paul's words come across as tone deaf, starry-eyed, or hopelessly idealistic. Over the past week, there has been violence and unrest in our country and in places like Kyrgyzstan, where the election may have been corrupted. There has been destruction where a fourth named storm has made landfall on the Gulf Coast, and lives and homes have been endangered by fires in the Pacific Northwest and by flash floods that rose in France and in Italy. And life and dignity continue to be disregarded. In Myanmar, where children are exploited for labor, and in Yemen, where they are facing a fifth year of famine. And even closer to home, loved ones have died. Others have fallen ill. And still others have lost jobs and been isolated and alone and struggled to know God's love. And all this in the midst of a pandemic. It is a time of disorientation and disconnectedness. And I imagine rejoicing is probably not the first response most of us have. Rage, despair, anxiety, and lament, but not rejoicing. And yet, Paul was not wearing rose-colored glasses when he wrote these words. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, a Roman colony, and the center of Christianity in Europe at the time, early in his imprisonment in Rome. He had been arrested and jailed, and he probably, and rightly, expected to die there, killed or martyred, he could see quite plainly what lay ahead. And yet, he writes about the joy that is found in centering our lives in Christ. Listen to what he writes. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, 
my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companions, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, in, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. The word therefore points us back to the earlier parts of Paul's letter, as does the phrase in this way, far from being flippant or dismissive, Paul is reorienting these Jesus followers, reminding them that they are not at the mercy of the world around them. He instructs them first, stand firm in the Lord, Having heard the stories of who God is and witnessed God's activity in the world, we are called to remember who we know God to be and who we are as God's people. Paul recognizes that gospel work, following Christ and pointing to God's love for the world is challenging. But importantly, it is not work that we do alone. God provides us with companions and co-workers. And then Paul continues with encouragement, urging the Philippians to rejoice. He doesn't say rejoice in the suffering of others. He doesn't say rejoice because of your victory. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice because we share in God's grace. Rejoice because Christ Jesus has made us his own. Rejoice because our citizenship is in heaven. We rejoice because God is God and we are not. We are not rejoicing to express an emotional high or to ignore the suffering that we witness, but to proclaim our faith deeply rooted 
and grounded in knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. When Paul continues, his emphasis is on gentleness, prayer, and thanksgiving. This isn't aspirational language. These are the characteristics of disciples, living out of who we are as followers of Jesus and standing firm in the Lord. A popular prayer or call and response we used to say before Wednesday night meals in my home congregation was God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And I admit that there were times when I wondered about those words. There are definitely days when it doesn't feel true. I don't feel like rejoicing sometimes. But at the ground of my being, I know God is good. God, the creator, life giver, and sustainer is good. It doesn't mean I have to like everything I see happening or even understand it. But I have confidence in the God whom I know through the person of Jesus. And I offer my thanksgiving and prayer. Paul concludes by urging the people in Philippi to think about these things, referring to the things that reflect the good in the world. Like a modern gratitude practice where you name something every day and give thanks. Paul encourages us to pay attention to the world around us and notice where God is showing up, confident in God's presence with us in all circumstances. Paul isn't urging us to sentimentality. Instead, he is urging us, as one colleague wrote, to live into the belief that God can and will bridge the gap between the world we long for and the world we see before our eyes. That's not so difficult after all.